0: Jetty folk, take care of jetty folk. And if you ever have a chance to lick a coyote on the nose, I would really recommend it as an outdoor activity.
1: You should have seen that fish run.
2: And I was like, man, first off, don't ever buy a gun at Stop and Go, and if you do, don't buy it for
1: $20. you're like a superstar because everybody who's on the jetties watching comes down and wants to take a picture with your fish like they want to hold the fish and act like they caught it and then they like they're clapping and everything whenever you reel the fish in
3: okay folks welcome to the podcast in rockport texas on salt lake right on salt lake salt lake home of mike weiss i've got uh john blaha here with me um he's been on the podcast numerous times Scott McLeod and Mike Wise. Scott and yep. Mike are, are uh, retired uh, law enforcement officers for Texas Parks and Wildlife Department, also known as game wardens. Uh, guys, we'll start with 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 y'all two and uh, give us introductions, uh, a little bit about yourself, and uh, then we'll then we'll roll into the subject. But Mike, why don't you start us off?
2: Well, Shane, thank you for having us on the show tonight or the podcast. It's the first one I've ever done. Um, uh, i w- I was game warden for 30 years. I've been retired seven now. Uh, started in 85 over in Sour Lake. Uh, spent a lot of time in Sabine, Sabine Lake, patrolling the gulf down there. Um, 2000, I, uh, uh, excuse me, 1999, I transferred over to LaGrange and, and spent seven years there. And then my last 16, 17 years spent it in Fort Bend County and uh, worked primarily Fort Bend, Brazoria, and Matagorda County. The coastal counties, and uh, because I know tonight we're going to talk about you know m- mostly coastal fishing and and uh, some other situations we're going to address. But uh, so I retired with 30 years and uh, moved to Rockport this last year and enjoying life right now. Nice. So Sour
3: Lake, Sabine Lake. Do you know a guy named Skip James very well?
2: Skip James? No. I, I, I'm sorry. I, should I? <laughs> I think he had some run-ins a
3: time or two. With the, you may have been gone and out of there. Uh, uh,
2: the uh, for, for really our,
3: good fishing guy down there.
2: So, yeah, you know, our, our listeners that watch Lone Star Law, of course, we hear that all the time. You know, hey, we love Lone Star Law, but Mike Boone is the one that took my place in '93, and okay. he, you know, he's one of the uh, main yeah. main characters as we yeah, put yeah. it on, on Lone Star Law over there. Then, did you, where'd you grow up? Where, where I grew up raised? in Austin. Okay, Austin, Manor, Elgin area, and. Uh, the family had cotton gins in Maynor and in Elgin. So, uh, uh, Kenneth Lunsford was the old game warden out there. And When he did my background investigation, he came out and I was living at my grandmother's farm. and He said, I caught five of your cousins, Bubba <laughs> Weiss, Mike Weiss, the other <laughs> Mike Weiss. And he said, I never caught you, so you're going to make a pretty good game warden. <laughs> you, you
3: went to a and did. I did. Yeah. I did. Uh,
2: what I did. class? Uh, class of uh, 81. Were, to- were you in the Corps? No, I was not. The Corps wouldn't have me. They said my temper was too bad. (laughs) I don't don't believe that for one minute.
3: (laughs) Uh, I was in there and and, uh – we had some hot-headed guys. I think you would have fit in nice. Yeah,
2: well, that, that, uh, I probably should have been in the Corps for the discipline. <laughs> Luckily, I got out of A&M and went to work for W.W. Granger for a couple of years. I applied three times for the Game Warden Academy and got in on my third time around. And the and academy started Jan, uh, January second, 1985 good little lesson for
3: all mm-hmm. those that want to be game wardens or anything with the department is it's persistence you got to keep applying
2: it is it yes. is we you know we've all done our background investigations on people and i tell yeah. them i said do not be disappointed if you don't get accepted the first time i said they and make sure if you go back the second time that they know this is your second time around if you apply yeah because uh persistence does make it right there
3: good deal yeah. All right, Scott. Tell us a little about yourself.
0: I grew up around Divine, yeah. Divine, Texas, not too far out of Hondo, We're yeah. right off of Highway 35. Yep. Grew up out of town there a little bit, and and um, anyway, I I when, I when I got through growing up there. I went to uh, Texas A and M. And I got lucky. I was either going to go maybe into the Air Force or Texas A&M. So A&M had me. So they said, yes, we'll take you. So I headed off there. So in 19, I think it was 83, I headed off to A&M. And I was looking for a animal science or wound it up in a range science, yeah. which is ranch management. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I got a degree there and graduated in 88. So it was a very, 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 very good stint at College Station. Had a little bit too much fun sometimes, yeah. but I guess that's part we of all growing did. up. That's part of it. Yeah. Never, never went to
1: the chicken, did you? The yeah.
0: chicken was a very nice place to visit.
1: I yeah. think I was stumbling around there every now and then. Yeah, around 83. Yeah. yeah. Me and
0: my me and my wife. Uh, I wish we'd have went back when they sold some of the tables because yeah. we had our had our names carved out in a table or two over there. So it was a nice, nice. little spot. Yeah. After that, I had a stint. Uh, my wife was still one more year at A&M, and I got in with the USDA as a sole scientist and um, with uh, what was called at that time the SES. And after that, they transferred me to Hereford, Texas. I don't know if you know where Hereford, yeah. Texas no is, real. but it ain't far from Amarillo. Nope. Mm. So there ain't much to do up there. Except run around and try to kill a few things. So we killed a bunch of prairie dogs and had a little bit of a good time, but the winters were way too cold and no water, no water at all. Got some neat experiences there, great people, but wanted to kind of get out of that location. Uh, ran across a game warden there. He kind of took me under his wing and said, Man, you ought to apply for us. And so went ahead and took his advice. I applied once didn't make it. Persistence pays off. Next time I reapplied, sure enough, I did a little better on the interviews and the testing. At that time, you had to take a a written test. That was one of the first things. And it even showed your knowledge on biology and math and reading skills. So uh, it was a little bit different to get in back then than it is now. But uh, it was a good, very good experience. And my second attempt, I made it in. So uh, we loaded the wagon up and got everything. The truck loaded up and headed to Austin, Texas. That's where the academy was. I didn't know much about Austin. Still don't really care to know much about Austin. <laughs> 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 I was there for a while. Uh, got my wife to move down, and we got her a little place over by Round Rock. So she we rented her a place there because Herford, Texas, is a long ways from Austin. So the commute back and forth there was almost impossible. Family time, if you want to call it that, was yeah. going to be very limited. So moving her back to the Austin area to Round Top was a very good advantage for me. I could see her dang there every day. She'd bring brownies and cookies and all the game <laughs> orders. You know, the cadets loved her because she was bringing sweets and stuff. And it was, I got to leave for a little while and have quality home time and then come back at the – at the time, we had to be back in the classrooms or or, or for, for the bedding at the academy. And that was a very unique time. Now it's not even in Austin, Texas. It's outside of Star, Texas, which mm-hmm. ain't, ain't far from Hamilton. But uh, it was a very unique experience. Uh, got through with the academy in Austin. Some great instructors, great uh, other game wardens that after we graduated – Uh, kept in contact with and they still help me out so it's a a great camaraderie so it's more like a family instead of just a job um after i got out of the academy they said they gave me a few little picks and my second pick was rockport texas we did a coastal trip to rockport and Mm -hmm. there's some people kind of like danny kelso and pinky gonzalez Mm -hmm. now sheriff over there and refurio and we had some great times. And, uh, and I said, man, if I'm gonna pick a spot, I wanna go back there. You know, there's so much to do between the shrimping, the oyster, and the crabbing, the fishing, the boating. And, and a lot of it was very new to me. So I was, I was ready to get started. I was gung-ho. And sure enough, I got Rockport. So it was a great experience. They moved me down here. I think there was five or hmm, maybe I was a sixth game warden. In this county, okay. so there was quite a few of us. So you could learn some good things and bad things from each individual game warden, and it was it was a very very good time. I I didn't know Hill of beans about saltwater, you know, growing up in divine Texas. You know, you, you know I can pitch hay, you know I can, pitch I can hay, do shoot it. A dove. Yeah, <laughs> I can shoot a bunch of doves, but but as far as saltwater, I had a lot to learn. And over the years, uh, I, I I worked 29 years here in this county, never moved out. Stayed here the whole time. Many people move off, try to find something different, a little bit better, family life changes or something. But for me, I decided everything was rocking and rolling great, so I said, why stop a good thing?
3: That's what I I was thinking, it's pretty rare, I would think, from my experience in knowing a few game wardens is for one to stay put for that long right it is i don't blame you i mean if i had to be somewhere in my career this is a nice place to be
0: and when we bought the place you know we bought a little piece of property and i thought i was getting raped you know with a price back then (laughs) (laughs) you know but try it it now now. now. if i had to buy it now i'd be on welfare you know so we came out we've came out ahead so I've been here 29 years. Just graduate or graduate, just retired this last April. Kind of like graduation. It <laughs> <is> <laughs> yeah, graduation. it's a different it's a different outfit you work for. You kind of work for Mama instead of the state. Mm-hmm. And uh, having a great time with, with uh, one of my one of my I want to say pet peeve was was oysters. If you live in Rockport and a game warden in 29 years in Rockport, oysters are your life. You know, it's a six-month season, and you, it's it's some great times and some trying times. And uh, it's a long, long season. Many, many, many game wardens get tired of it, get tired of the droll and dundrum back and forth, oysters, six months of the year for 20, 29 years.
2: And the coldest time of the year also. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah.
3: a lot of people don't know, most people don't know, what you have to do when when you do a compliance check on an oyster boat so just just jump into that and walk through from law enforcement side what y'all have to do and and just go through the arduous walk us through the arduous task that that is
2: So scott i'm gonna let you i'm gonna let you touch on that because you did it a lot more than i did i did it some but you y'all were right here i call this ground zero of the oyster Right, right now, right it
0: seems like we're inundated with this, almost every boat in the state of Texas. And, and it's been like that for quite a while. And when I first got here, there were there were some boats. Our, our, we had a big aspect of shrimping. There right. were a lot of shrimp boats. You know, mm-hmm. the little brownie season in the spring. There were 150 boats, bay boats, and bait boats out in the bay. Well, things have changed, and times have changed. Regulations have changed, and now there's not as many bay boats or shrimp boats out there Uh, with oysters it was pretty much just the opposite in the old days we had our local fleet our local fleet was mainly uh, some boats out of Fulton Harbor a few out of Rockport Harbor and and they were very conscientious about the resources and many of them were concerned about the future what was happening and what we were heading to and they would they would see and as well as us as game wardens we would see every year a few more boats when the closures up north, say around Galveston, uh, would shut down. We would start getting their boats. Boats were being better built, and they could travel easier. People didn't mind traveling. You know, thirty years ago, people wanted to stay at the house. You know, commercial fishermen had his little terrain, mm-hmm. whether it was a bay or a system or an area. You know, fifty miles from the house, something like that. But these days. Uh, it's, it's evolved into boats and people coming long distances just to work the industry. And uh, the compliance check itself is basically a, an issue where, you know, as a game warden, we work 24 hours a day. We're on call. So it's, it's up to the knowledge of the game warden and what you've learned, because I came here knowing nothing about oysters. And I had a lot of good teachers. And they taught me some of the tricks, what to look for, what to check for, certain times of the day and night, you know, indicators of what the fleet might be doing if they're going out at night, going out early, staying late, over limits, um, um, double tripping on boats. Uh, there's so many little tricks that the industry could have if, if they're not being checked and kept in compliance. So... Uh, knowing and learning the experience of the industry is three quarters of the battle of becoming what I consider a, g- a good game warden mm-hmm. well uh to the individual compliance check it kind of depends on what you're what you're actually doing you could go out at night and sit on a reef <clears throat> knowing that there might be some people coming out in the middle of the night in a closed area so um that kind of compliance check is a little bit different than a normal compliance check during daylight when they're supposed to be out there. Yeah. And like today, you might have 150 boats in our base system. And uh, it kind of gets arduous, uh, overwhelming, because one or two or three or five or ten game orders can't check all of the boats out there. So uh, sometimes your knowledge base of where you need to go, because a particular reef has a lot of undersized oysters, the closed areas that you need to look at. Uh, so um, it's, it's, a, it's a lot of knowledge that you draw back upon. And um, some boats are, have a very high tendency to be violating the law <laughs> uh, compared to some other boats. There's some, there's some captains and boats that, that are great people and I've never given a ticket to never did, 29 years
3: did you see an increase in violations as you an increase in the percentage of violations as you saw more boats from up north coming down here uh did you yes tie those two things together
0: yes yes very much so one year um at the end of the season i was talking to the local jp here and a lot of times we file a lot of ours in that one court system that one jp we we And this is a time when he wrote, if you wrote a a boat for undersized oyster, only the captain got the ticket. Now it's the captain and all the deck cans. So if there's three people on board, that's three citations. Back in the old days, it was one ticket, one boat. And that one year, we wrote about 220 citations for undersized oysters and many of the boats. I can't say all because it wouldn't be true but many of them were from out of town boats because the majority of the boats were from out of town.
1: Is that that 1617 season?
0: Uh, it was around in that that time frame. Yeah. yeah.
3: yeah a lot of those guys are spon- a lot of the workers that are on those boats are sponsored by the industry to you know they're supported to come here. Correct. So I don't Correct. know they don't
0: know, they don't own the boats they don't per se. The boat. no. yeah, right. Per say. there's there's a few there's a small percentage of the people that have you know, work their way, been captains, uh, buy a boat, buy a license, and, and are working on their own boat. But majority of them work for a company.
3: So I'm wondering if any part of that is, has to do with, with, is it egregious? Like, do they know what they're doing, or are they just out there and, and just don't care? There's, or the, there's a it? little
0: bit of both. Okay. There's a little bit of both. Some of them, uh, you know, I speak a little bit of Spanish. You know, I grew up in Divine. You, know, <laughs> you know, but uh, you know, I can order a taco. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I can make my way out of the, you know the bar, <laughs> but you know, I, I can't fluently speak Spanish. And uh, some of these folks uh, truly don't know any English. So uh, at least you know, over my tenure and and Mike's, uh, you know, we even got cell phones, which was a great help. You know, GPSs, which yeah. was a great help. Because if I couldn't speak Spanish and they can't speak English, I can now call somebody to interpret mm-hmm. back and forth for me. So, uh, uh, and that helps you understand the, the, the knowledge base of the captain, where they're from, if, what's their intent. You know, let's, let's, let's ex- uh, put the example of a closed area. If, if they don't even know English, it's a little bit harder 20 years ago for a for a guy to look at a map and determine exactly where he is on a paper map when he didn't even know how to speak or read english but uh now things have changed quite a bit you know um there's interpreters and whatnot and they can get the publications of the maps transcribed into Spanish uh, the, the GPS's can be loaded down with a map to show them where the the lines are for open water and closed waters but uh, it has changed a lot I mean a tremendous amount And when you guys go to 29.
3: check for undersized though then that's I guess that was the original intent of like you have to check um, What's the percent of the catch? A significant portion of their total catch. So if they have 10 bags, what, how many bags would you have to Thirty yeah, take?
0: By law, we, ha- we have to inspect, and that means dump out and count every oyster in a bag of 5% of the catch. It's only 5%, but that's one out of every 20 sacks. So if they have 20 sacks, we legally have to take one sack Pull it up on the table, dump it out, and physically inspect with our own colored irons, and check the measurement of every oyster in that sack. So you're talking
3: 200 to 270 ish oysters.
0: Yeah, probably more 300, 350, and if they got a bunch of little uh, half shell oysters, I've seen them 500 count oysters in a sack. In
2: a sack, 500. Wow. In a sack,
0: but but that's but that's that's uh, undersized. You know that's.
2: That's sometimes two-and-a-half inch or whatever. Yeah, yeah. The yeah. violation is going to be there then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
3: So you're out there beeping and bopping on the water, getting tossed around, measuring oysters for an hour, hour and a half. I mean, I don't know how long oh, it takes uh, to go through the sack. But yeah. If
0: it, and it all depends. Back in the old days, there was a sack limit of 90 sacks. So if we had to check 5% of the cargo, you had to check.
3: You're almost checking. You almost had to check five, five yeah. sacks.
0: Now, you get one game order on a boat. And you have to dump out five sacks and count every oyster, and cull out the little ones to big ones in five sacks.
1: That's, that's that, a day. you're talking that's about two a and a half day. hours, yeah. If hours. you're
0: fast, if you know what you're doing. If you don't know what you're doing, you kind of have a blind's <laughs> eye and you just keep going the other way. <laughs> <laughs> and you might go check a fisherman, you know. Yeah. Uh, you know, you, you, there's other things to check. You yeah. know, you may go check a duck hunter. You may go check a crabber or. Or a shrimp or you know. So, oyster checking oyster fishermen is is definitely what many cons many people consider work. You'll come home, you smell like a oyster. You, you're dirty. You got spat all over you. You might have pieces of oyster hanging off your sunglasses. It's a it's a it's a tough job as a game warden much less being a captain or a deckhand. Some of those guys, you know, don't get paid much at all. They (laughs) came from Honduras, Nicaragua, um, you know, El Salvador, you know, um, should have their papers in line, you know, with sponsorship, with uh, passports, work visas. There's a lot of hoops they got to jump through to legally be here, to legally actually be on an oyster boat. And uh, when we jump on board, we as game wardens, Uh, If we don't have somebody else with us, like Coast Guard, uh, which is very rare that we do. But uh, sometimes we have little operations and whatnot. We bring in BP, uh, ICE agents, uh, Coast Guard, and and they kind of do their inspections on their part of the vessels Mm -hmm. and captains. And we do ours. But uh, mainly when we jumped on the boats, we would look for licenses. Licenses of the captain. Licenses of the crews. Now, a long time ago... The, there was no there was no license for the crew. It was all captain. covered under the captain and the boat. So, so many things have changed in, uh, in the well, last 30 years.
2: Well, you know, and, and back then when you used to write the captain a, a citation, right. um, because the law, even back then, it was enhanceable. If you got them two, three times, the violation uh, it would go up to a class B or class A. And so then the next time you check that boat... The captain, that captain wouldn't be driving. He'd be a deckhand. Mm-hmm. and yeah. one of those the deckhands would be around. the captain. they just swap, swap, swap around and swap yeah. around. Yeah. And that was the game they played until yep. they did change the law. And that's because of y'all, you know, a lot of y'all that worked those oysters had the input to change that law to where everybody on board the boat got a ticket. So I mean, everybody,
1: everybody, now, if... The entire crew gets a citation. Correct. The captain yeah. gets
2: a ticket. The boat loses the
0: oysters for that day. Mm-hmm. They got to dump them over, and the deckhands that's been on board the boat culling the oysters have a citation. get a citation, and, and they And, have and
3: a, that was a, all House Bill fifty one back yeah. in seventeen. Correct. And, Correct. Right. Correct. We uh,
0: so there's there's been lots and lots of improvements, and and that's the whole thing about it. You know, since twenty nine years ago when I started in eighty three. Uh, I mean, in '93 here in Rockport, you know, things things evolve, things change legally. What you have to check, what you need to check, uh, the situations of, of different boats coming in from different areas like Galveston and whatnot, and how they've been checked there. Uh, sometimes uh, there's a little difference in 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 what the game wardens ask for, you know, what we look for. Uh, there's resident licenses and non-resident licenses. Mm-hmm. Residency is a issue. It was a bigger issue uh, several years ago, but right. we've kind of got that worked out. But uh, it it goes in cycles, and that's that's one of the things now is I I believe over my 29 years I've seen lots of reefs that that we when I first came here, you know, he, when he was a game warden. The, the best way to learn the water is go wade fishing now you shouldn't do it while you're working, but <laughs> if you got downtime you can, you can, if you got downtime, you can take downtime yeah. and learn the water and you know they can't expect you to work twenty out of twenty four hours a day you know it was supposed yeah. to be eight hours
2: a day yeah, yeah. It, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. that never yeah. that never happened no, no it and it was a it, but not yeah. that not that we not that we cared. I mean, no, it was is, a way but, of life. Yeah, this it was, it was, yeah, this is what it was. Yeah, that's what you know? did. As
0: yes. as well as uh, when you're out checking oyster boats, you you're looking around. If you if you hear shotguns shooting over there by the wildlife refuge, well, you may get off that oyster boat and then go check a, a duck hunter that's on the wildlife refuge. It mm-hmm. ain't supposed to be there. If you're out back in the old days, uh, you could oyster all the way till sunset. If you're out on an oyster boat at sunset checking them, and then all of a sudden a little skiff goes by, that you kind of know the old boy might put some net out. Well, you might evolve from checking oyster boats into sitting on a net all night long. Well, you know, as as the old days were, you you may not get paid for all of those hours because you might you you may not get back home for a day. So uh, you know they 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 kind of adjusted our hours and i was i was happy to do that and that's that's an issue that really doesn't take place anymore but it was more of a way of life and and uh, i personally took and and felt an importance in the county because as a game warden we're expected to know so much patrol so much from everything from oysters to duck hunters to fishermen to boating safety to to um, crabbing, shrimping, it it just goes on and on and then you get outside the jetties and you got to play with the you know reef fish the, guys mm-hmm. and the <coughs> gulf shrimpers and snapper boats and it never ends well, it's it's it's, 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 you, you it's phase one thing
3: out of one thing and you go right into the next it seems. Well, well you know one, like one thing busy. about
2: you know the violations back back when we started say I'd catch a road hunter at night or we'd catch right. A, a, right. an oyster fisherman in a closed area, depending on if it was designated a polluted area or not, or one of the just closed areas. Right. Uh, you know, there were different violations there, but most of them, you gave them a ticket. And back then, the maximum fine was $200 on a ticket. It wasn't enhanceable. So you catch a road hunter, uh, you take his gun and use it as evidence. It wasn't cough. We didn't confiscate them back then. But they didn't. We seized them as evidence. Uh, you write him a ticket. The local judge would fine him two hundred dollars. So. You catch him again next week, give him a kiss and a ticket and turn him loose and tell him come back next week if you want some more, you yeah. know. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and, but the same way with the oyster fish, you know, after, we're going to try to key on that oyster, but, right. you know, we uh, we worked in, on Galveston Bay and we had our 65-foot patrol boat. <laughs> we anchored in the middle of Galveston Bay and we'd run a 30-mile radar on it. And at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, you see a blip on the radar moving a little bit in one of these polluted areas that – TCQ, or what I don't remember what they were called back then, but they right. designated it as a closed area because of the pollution or the fresh water coming down the Trinity River, whatever, and you see that blip, and you, and you pretty much know what's going on. Yep. If he's moving fast, Probably some trout fisherman trying to get mm-hmm. to his hole before somebody else does. You know, if he's moving one or two miles an hour, you know, you knew what was going yeah. on. He's he's turned turned on. He's he's on. He's turning he's circles. Turning circles. That's <laughs> it. That's it. And, you yeah. know, and back then, I don't remember what the penalties were, but we would catch them. And at the time, the captain would go to jail, I believe. Mm-hmm. And yes. yes. you turn the crew and the boat loose, and the oysters would be dumped back on the reef. And then it, it finally became a state jail felony to to oyster in closed areas in the polluted areas right it, there and it all changes it evolves
0: yeah. and 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 i think that's what we're in right now we need a little bit of
2: we got we got a, a little I, bit
0: of evolution our, we need a little bit different management scheme our, right our
2: now. regulations are i say antiquated but uh, you know they're they're very enforceable on what we got going what we can't enforce right now or what the game or war- I'm not a game warden anymore. I'm just an overtired trout fisherman, you know, Morning. but, uh, uh, you know, what, what what's being faced here in the Middle Coast is a lot of Texas or the majority of Texas Bay systems are already closed down. And so the oyster fleet itself has moved to the Middle Coast, which is. Uh, starting at Second Chain of Islands in San Antonio Bay, what area is that? That area twenty-five over there on the or if you they pull it up, several it's there areas. There, There's 25, 25 goes all the way to Ayers. 28. 28 Yeah, yeah. So all of San Antonio Bay is pretty much closed, except for that southern end of San Antonio Bay. From what I read, mm-hmm. they have closed most of Galveston Bay. Um, Matagorda is mostly Matagorda is mostly closed. Spirit too. You, know, you know, I worked Matagorda. You know, a few years and. And uh, it's just Matagor- Matagorda got to where it just didn't have a lot of oyster pressure, oyster harvest pressure, because they had overworked it. I mean, it's just same same scenario up in Galveston Bay. And so now you've got a 400-plus uh, boats covering these three little bay systems, which is, you know, uh, you know you're starting at Ayers or second chain, the boat lower part of San Antonio Bay, go through San Antonio to Ayers, over to Mesquite Bay, which we have several mm-hmm. reefs that separate these little bays. These are funnel reefs, I call them too, because we just got one or two basically guts that goes through these reefs.
3: Used to, yep. used to, <laughs> used to. Don't the, they?
2: the gut, the guts are being depleted to where they're 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 not a funnel for the water anymore. You get into Carlos Bay, Aransas Bay, and then all the way up into Copano Bay, and uh, so we've been discussing this. Uh, last year my wife and i got in a boat we live back here on salt lake we left salt lake um we try we went to copano bay we counted over 100 oyster boats one day we went to five or six different reefs that we normally can wade fish or have been able to wade fish that are still left Um, there was an oyster boats on every one we went south into uh, ransas bay to put it to, to summarize it all we went to 24 different reefs in mm-hmm. those five bay systems there was not one reef that we could get out and wade fish because there were oyster boats all over them uh thompson's heads, one of my wife's favorite reefs uh one of my favorite reefs the northern part of that reef we used to, you used to stick up above water yep. it now is three to four foot deep at its shallowest part uh, yes so I documented, I wrote a paper, and, and several people have read it. Very I good. documented 24 reefs. Gabriel, these are some of my favorite fishing spots. So yeah. I was giving up, yeah. you know, 24 favorite fishing spots. I've,
3: I've only shared it with people I trust. Yeah. You know, well, it's
2: out there for public, wealth, you know, public welfare now, you know. Yeah. general uh, public. Walking said
1: you didn't miss a thing. You know, uh, <laughs> and,
2: uh, but, uh, you know, basically these 24 reefs, this is in the last two years, so this is not – Cannot be blamed on Hurricane Harvey, all right? or subsidence, no. or, or subsidence. sea level
1: rise. No. Let's That's just right. get that no. off the no. table, no, right? No now.
2: climate change. Yeah, you know. It's it's just
1: a pure disregard for the ecosystem. I think we all know the management's got to change, and, and Parks Parks knows that. We just got to get through those processes, but in the end, it's in my eyes, it, it's nothing but pure greed and no no regard for the future.
2: There is none. There is none. There's not a – right now, there's not a reef out here. I thought Copano Bay was going to get a reprieve this year. You know, like I said, even our biologist uh, uh, stated, you know, up to 130 boats per day in Copano Bay. Well, Copano Bay got hit just fourfold this last year. Mm -hmm. First, we had the oyster industry kind of induated it. Then we had the freeze, um, which – killed some of the seagrass and some of the other yeah, structures a, a lot of our trout and a lot of mm-hmm. you know we all know what happened on the series and then we had two major rain events one was 10 to 12 inches and one was 15 to 17 inches very close June together. and July yep. and so as a result all of Copano Bay got the the salinity level all summer long never got above 1.5 to 2.5
0: basically freshwater um, lake for a while
2: the yeah. The uh, vegetation in all of these backwater estuaries, uh, Mission Bay, got killed by the freeze. So this is all decomposing at the same time, which causes a, a lower o- oxygen level also. Um, all the oysters in Mission Bay died. Um, a lot of the oysters in Copano Bay died from, from all from reports freshwater. Yep. from freshwater but we still have the oyster boats back here. At the first of the season we'd have 10, 15, 20 some days and they were looking around and all of a sudden here in the last two or three weeks we've just had, you know there's 80 to 100 boats out here and and some of those oysters are dead and so I thought we were gonna get a reprieve but we did not. Um, So basically the whole Texas fleet is in our five little bay systems right now. And, uh, And our structure of our oyster reefs cannot handle that pressure we're all for a sustainable oyster i mean yes. we, you know the us four guys in here talking we're for a sustainable oyster fishery i mean i like to eat oysters you know
3: yep, I'm, I'm kind of
2: boycotting them right now because i'm on i'm on a uh, you know i got a little mission right here <laughs> i want to be able to tell my grandchildren that yes let's go fish these reefs i don't want to be telling my grandchildren how it, no, used, it used to, to be. be um 10 15 years ago these bay systems had little islands all in them. You had to really watch where you ran around Al, 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 Aransas, any of these bay systems, Aransas, Copano, Copano Reef, and, it's, yep. and it used to have to run almost a mile at a regular tide, almost yes. a mile from the shoreline to go around it. And nowadays... Basically, within 200 yards of the shoreline at a you regular right. high tide, you can run across it and out maybe 500 yards. Copano Reef is still wadeable in spots, but there's big holes. My wife is fairly short of stature. I won't, I won't say short. <laughs> so, she, uh, but she loves to wade fish. Well, here all along, she's going, you know, and she's in need of waist-deep water, and there's a hole in the reef that she can't cross. Correct. You know, and, and that is not attributable to any other environmental events it's attributable to being holes being dredged in the reefs. So the 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 height of our reefs has been reduced in the last two years and there's only one cause of it and that's oyster dredging has taken the height of our oysters down. Semi-load by semi-load, I got word today there was nineteen semis waiting in the Oranzas and, and surrounding area to load up oysters. I just can't imagine I, – I did a film the other night. I watched them low three mm-hmm. semis. Right. Can you imagine three semis full of oysters leaving our area? How big a reef would that make for us to fish on right here? Yep. I could build me a pretty good little reef with just three – Semi trucks aborcers. And Mike, yeah, the
3: season is six
2: months long. In the season is six months long. And, six, and, the, months and, long. and yeah.
3: that's not counting everything that got crushed and grind <clears> and, and, and spread throat, out right. across the bay bottom. Right. That's now going to be silted over. That's
1: right. it. It's right. Out. I mean it's yeah. in like Coconut. You you know, used to you leave, leave Goose Island and head across the bay. Well you you better watch. Thompson's out. and all that, you and all those reefs along intercoastal, you better know where you're going. Are you, are you gonna round up, you know? You don't have. You're going to gonna land on, on top of it, and you're going to be face first on the bottom of your boat, and it's just you don't. Even, now, getting a boat. Don't even think about it. You just go straight across. Don't even worry about it. Now, right. the oyster boats travel across the yeah, reefs. Yeah, exactly. And never yeah. bump bottom.
0: It, it's it's it's, it's uh, something needs to be changed.
3: Well, you you see those semis, and you look, and you see uh, today. I went and looked at a few, and see Mississippi, see Florida, see Alabama, and you just like that's never that's never coming back. You're never you know, that shell's gone. It's not yeah. coming back to yeah. the to the ecosystem. I mean well, we, we we do have House Bill fifty one and thirty percent of the shell that the dealer's uh, process is supposed to get back into the bay, but in comparison to what's <sighs> leaving, it's just it's and, and nothing. you
2: know, getting getting on that too, okay, and we've talked about this before, but say thirty percent of the shell is supposed to get back. So that means seventy percent of the shell can leave anyway. So that's seventy percent even in in a perfect scenario, they took that 30% shell and put it back on the reefs. Seventy percent of those reefs gone. are gone. Mm-hmm. So that's not – and uh, Shane, would you hit again on where what you did up in Virginia? That, I mean, uh, when you – Yeah, yeah, sure. So what, this, what the scenario brought you to to try – they're trying to reclaim their oyster.
3: Right. Oyster. So, I mean, we're – we're kinda of, we 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 don't as humans don't like pay attention to nature, generally speaking. Generally we don't speaking. consider ourselves part of the ecosystem. It's like we don't pay attention to nature. At least we better pay attention to history. And if history has taught us anything with oysters is that you cannot do what we're doing. You look at New York Harbor, Chesapeake Bay, Delaware Bay, Apalachicola, Florida, everywhere where there's been heavy harvest pressure on top of environmental conditions that are detrimental to the oysters and you see the fishery decline or, or collapse. So while I was in Virginia, I managed the oyster hatchery for a, a research institute, Virginia Institute of Marine Science, and the role there was to produce brood stock, quality brood stock that was disease-resistant, that grew fast, that could be used for the farming industry, the mariculture, so growing oysters in cages. And that's where this thing is going to evolve to, I, I would hope, in my lifetime, hopefully, to see that we have a a very productive mariculture industry in Texas coupled with, and that's all off bottom, that's in the water column, and that would be coupled with some form of a lease program where commercial operators could lease bay bottom in areas where the oysters have already been depleted, but you still have a base, you still have a foundation, some hard structure down there where they can take the shell that's going to Florida and Mississippi and Alabama, and they can put that back, into the water on their lease. And so eventually the industry shifts to these more sustainable practices of getting horses out of the water because removing the public fishery at the rate that we're removing it, I fear we're heading towards repeating history and, and that's, that's what we're trying to avoid here. So having you guys a part of that conversation, I think has been is very helpful and and all, and a lot of other folks that have been involved I think it's good that we get these different approaches towards this this issue and then and come up with some productive solutions. I don't care what industry you're in if you're in the conservation space or if you're in the fishing guide space or if you're retired game warden or if you're in the oyster industry don't just get out there and complain about the situation come to do the something. table and right. do something and right. let's let's have this conversation and walk away uh, with with something that is sustainable. So that, that's kind that's of And That's where focus
0: CCA here. is so important. Mm-hmm um after i retired you know i had this grinding thing in my gut it has been about oysters when you're when you're a game warden and you and you work 29 years and 6 months of the year is basically in your mind patrolling for oysters and you see the the decline of the oyster reefs itself i in my soul that's why I became a game warden, is I want to help the resource and, and try to enforce the laws that the state of Texas believes is right. And that's all a game warden does. They look at the b- laws on the books, you go out and try to enforce it. In the back of your mind, when you don't really think it's working 100% correct, you try to put these seeds in other people's minds. And I think that's what we're doing right now. We need to show biologically, scientifically, through CCA, through heart research, through all the experts that's been doing this for years and years and years, and have all the biological data that that they say 85% of the reefs are depleted already. Worldwide. Worldwide. We need to do something before Rockport, Texas, before Drift, Texas, before Fulton, Texas, is is in that same situation we may be the last stronghold but i don't want it to get to that point to where we're the same situation that these other states or other areas have been in when i retired i asked some of the parks and wildlife coastal fisheries they're they're great guys they're biologists their mind is on biology they have a mission it's just like cca it's just like game orders my job is to enforce the law their job is to create management schemes whether it's redfish trout flounder uh, tarpon name a species they're responsible to create laws for the sustainability of that resource well oysters are a resource very very profitable resource and i believe our biologists know Maybe not everything about an oyster, but we can basically take an aquarium and grow oysters yeah. in it. We know so much about oysters, it's unbelievable. We can grow them in cages and sell them, and we're getting into that into the state of Texas. Now, what, what I believe is we need to fine-tune our public reef harvest to stop a little bit of the harvest or a lot of the harvest on those reefs. So those reefs which are so important. We need to put the value on the reef, not the oyster, not the individual oyster, whether it be large or undersized, but on the reef. The reef is what creates a, help creates a bay. The bay helps create redfish, trout, crabs, flounder, every species out there. It helps clarify the water. It helps the turbidity of the, of the water so we can have seagrass. It's all, only the great God above knows everything about it and we're learning bit by bit we're trying to make things better 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 but we're a little slow sometimes Sometimes. at our change and sometimes i think we need a little kick in the butt to push us in the right direction to make us open our mind to look outside the tunnel vision and see the great picture and and i i personally believe we need some type of quota system For each bay, if we could biologically determine how many acres of reef there are in a bay system, determine the average amount of oysters each year that are growing on that reef, on those acres of reef, determine a harvestable amount, a total catch allotment allotment of oysters that can be harvested in that year. And let's biologically sustainability make a, a management decision to protect our reefs, continue oyster harvest, where the commercial industry can keep making uh, money and sell to the restaurants, which satisfies the general public. It's all a huge, huge intertwined uh, integral part of the world that we need to, to work out. And this one little system, I think, is being overlooked and that's our oyster reefs not the oyster itself but the oyster reef and we need more
2: well and we have we have a way that. we have a tracking system right mm-hmm. now that does tell us where every sack of oyster comes from what basis yes. it comes yes. from yes. yes i mean they have to fill those tags out on each oyster and as of la- like last year we saw we us four have seen it but 31 percent of the oysters. Taken in Texas, harvested in Texas, came out of a little Copano Bay right here. 31% out of all the Texas waters. And then if you added it all up, you included some parts of San Antonio Bay. 81% of the oysters came out of the Middle Coast. Correct. You know, because Galveston Bay historically has been overharvested. They've been induated with environmental stills. The hurricanes silted what reefs were left over killed a lot of the oysters up there so we've got the same amount of boats that used to oyster in Galveston and all through the Texas coast they've all situated themselves right here on the middle coast and folks I'm telling you we cannot sustain that because let me tell you what over the years of checking these oyster boats and checking other commercial industries these companies are in it for the profit they will take every oyster we've got left until there is no profit and then they're going to have to go find them another business to be involved in somewhere else that's yeah.
0: true uh, i'll throw one little kicker in on that they'll, they'll definitely legally try to take every oyster that is legally allowed now there are a few boats that's going to try to get around the law and and bootleg oysters that are going to do it illegally at night uh, take undersize that sort of thing but but the industry is also mainly doing what parks and wildlife allows them that's to right do. that's and right and they're, they're uh, right now the law allows every boat in the state of texas to be able to come down and theoretically could get in one little bay system like copano bay and if we had 450 boats in there that would still be legal so that's that's the aspect that i believe we need to uh change the management to spread this out a little more. Uh, you know, I come from Divine. I saw more cows than I knew anything about an oyster. <laughs> you know, you don't take your whole herd and stick it in one little bitty trap and leave them there all year. You better have a big enough Good. place or or if you don't, all the grass is gonna be gone. Yep. And next year you you're gonna have, rotate it. That's we, just we, a we, common we through, agriculture. You rotate yes, your pastures. You know, we we went through the, the dust bowl. When, it, when stuff like that happened, we don't need that under the water. Yeah. Yeah. And right. that's, that's a management and I, and
1: that's, theory. I mean, like Shane talked about, that's the importance in my mind of that lease program is if they've got the skin in the game, they're going to take care of it. And There's those in the industry that I wholeheartedly feel they want to do it the right way, but as Scott said, the law allows it. I don't care right. if it's a fishing tournament. I don't care right. if it's a baseball tournament. Right. I don't care what it is in life. Whatever that rule is. You try to attain the it. People are going to work as deeply within right that down. rule as they can, to that edge, and right whatever there. gray edge they can work within, they're going to work within that gray edge. I mean, it's—I'll uh, digress here a little bit, but it's, it's no different than these fishing tournaments where these guys were icing fish. They were right. getting away with it, but if you look at the letter of the law, that's yep. that's manipulating that fish. Yeah. In my mind, but okay. so I, yeah, again. Bottom bottom line, like Scott said, they're going to work fully within that law and whatever gray crease they have. And until we can change that and go to a different form of management, whatever that may be, I mean, we all have our opinions. Right. Uh, that's just the way it's going to be. Uh, well, just, Mike, Mike, you know Mike, that
2: that one thing though that you know I wrote that paper in that last paragraph. That's what always just comes to my mind. And I know I'm not the only one that thought that way, but where in Texas? Do we allow a commercial industry to come in and change the geography of public land? You don't allow a commercial industry to go into our state parks, nope. into our federal parks, our federal wildlife management areas with a bulldozer, a dredge, and take down mountains and hills. And people, Amen. the bays of Texas belong to Two y'all. Good people. We, belong, we own those bays, the people of the state of Texas do. And those, but that bottom of those bays are getting flattened from what used to be reefs and little islands. They're getting flattened to one plateau or one plowed cotton field out there. Is all it is. So we're in Texas. We do we allow that, but we're allowing that right now. Something needs to change on that, or we're not going to have any structure left in our bays.
3: That's right. And you get Galveston Bay 2.0, where That's right. you're vulnerable exactly. to siltation from a hurricane or some other uh, mass movement of sediment. And then you've lost right you've lost the, you've lost gone, your oysters gone, and it's gone
0: it takes millions and millions of dollars per acre just to bring it back that's to right try to bring it back that's right
3: and we have we have the science to support everything that we're saying and we can improve on that science and we need to continue to support and refine the science but i mean we know we know oysters are four and a half times more they carry four and a half times the biomass than seagrass eleven and a half times the biomass of a shoreline habitat 303 aquatic species use oysters for habitat, food, or refuge. And that's the important thing. That I think it's you, you you referenced oysters as a resource, Scott, which they are. But we need to start saying, and our mantra needs to be, oysters are habitat. That's true. That it's, it's not just a fishery. It's like, a habitat. That is, that is keystone species that's of true. the bay, the Key foundation point. of our bay systems in, 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 in many areas of the Texas coast. And we have to kind of shift our view of what we, how we value that species. That's true.
0: Uh, kind of on that lines, oysters are very unique. When you go out shrimping and you bring in shrimp, what you sell is shrimp. You know, there may be head, there may be tail, but it's it's a lot of the actual shrimp that you're going to eat. With oysters, a sack of oyster weighs no more than 110 pounds by law. The actual oyster that you're going to put in your mouth mouth and consume, that oyster is only about eight, nine, at best, ten pounds out of a complete sack. So the resource of harvesting oysters allows them to harvest oyster, but they're taking the byproduct, which is the shell, the shell which is the oyster's house, which is the habitat of our reefs that are the complex uh, structure and part of our bays. And without it, we're going to... We're gonna lose it all. We're not just gonna lose oysters. We're okay. gonna lose shrimp. We're gonna going lose crab. There's not gonna be any stone crabs. The the, the fish species are gonna be uh, hurt because they utilize the habitat of the reef. So the oyster itself may be a resource that they actually that you actually buy and eat, but the rest of it is a shell, calcium carbonate that's been produced and made. Buy that oyster, and that's the portion at least that needs to be brought back to the bay systems and put back.
2: Put back mm-hmm. where it where it came from. Where that's it came from. Not a different not a
0: different location. Mm-hmm. We need it to come back to that reef, you know. And that that's extremely right. that's, hard that's, issue to to do. Very expensive, but but if you want it to be sustainable, mm-hmm. if we want to have reefs. We have to do something like that, or something different that attains that goal, because uh, right now the reefs are going they're, from
2: they're going in a truck and leaving us.
0: We're know. selling the reef.
2: What? It's not just. Would oyster. one of y'all uh, on that paper that the Hart Research Institute did uh, just just kind of summarize the economics of the oyster of the oyster reef compared to the commercial value? Well, uh, the
3: the the ecological value of of reefs is. it it widely ranges depending on the structure of the reef, where it is in the bay and its proximity to to the shoreline. But reefs closest to the shoreline offer the most benefit ecologically. And so there's some papers that estimate the value between five thousand dollars to ninety thousand dollars per hectare, which is two and a half acres. The hectare is two and a half acres. So it's this wide, wide range. But if you want to just draw a line in the middle, you can say about forty thousand dollars per acre is the value I mean not acre per hectare. So fifteen 000 to twenty thousand dollars per acre oh is God. the value of, of an oyster reef in the water. One acre.
2: for ecological plus for ecotourism, for uh uh the local economy that, that is area. not including the benefits that, for recreational oh fishing. That there is
3: just the services that's for filtration, that's for erosion, that's for benefits to seagrass, just the ecological components. When you start talking about ecotourism, you're on a whole nother scale. Right. So in the water, oysters are far more valuable than they are out of the water. But that's not what we're what we're saying is the solution here. Like there's there's I think that there's there's ways to get oysters to market. There's ways to increase the prevalence of oysters in our bays and do all the fun stuff that they do ecologically or economically.
2: But but mention the value they put on a, a a the oysters per hectare or acre or whatever that just a commercial value wasn't it eight hundred and eighty dollars compared to several. I think John's going to thousands look, look, of
3: looking to pull it up. I've got yeah. it too. John's handing it
2: to me. I mean, me. it was just a tremendous variation. Yeah. Of,
3: so the harvest value is about eight hundred and eighty per acre, yeah. and the non-harvest value is and it has a wild range. Like I said, two thousand to forty thousand per acre for the non-harvest value
0: but 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 that
3: non-harvest value is not including recreational fishing you throw recreational fishing on top of that recreational fishing alone is twenty three thousand dollars per acre
0: but and what other critter is out there that actually filters the water out to that To that amount if we lose the amount of oyster reefs which is losing the amount of oysters total oysters in a bay and we do not get the filtration of the sediments, of the, of the water column itself, everything's going to change. Everything. I saw everything it, from I the saw grass, Yes, everything from the amount of grass Lovaca growing by,
3: to. D- to, d- to drove, drove over Lavaca and Copano. And Chuck Nizer mentioned this to me several weeks ago that he, he had noticed this. I was like, okay, I'm going to pay attention and see if what Chuck's saying is, is, is the real deal. which, um, And it was. Lavaca Bay, Lavaca Bay, which is usually when there's oyster boats in there, it is just chocolate. So, yeah, it was yeah. beautiful today. Fifty minutes later, coming over Copano, nowhere near the clarity and and the, the the tone and the color of water in Copano. You look
1: twenty knot winds, mm-hmm. and today it was and it's, breezy- still it's still clear. It's still clear over there. Yeah.
2: Well, Copano Bay has never cleared up for me being <clears throat> down here for fifty years. You know, fishing down here. You know, Copano Bay was always just a pristine. Yeah, Copano Bay has not cleared up in over a year. I mean, between the rain events and the induction of the – the, I just didn't think they would open Copano Bay this year because it never cleared up. But I the- live back here. I travel Copano Bay in a boat two, three times a week on most weeks, and we never got the, the water quality back in over a 12-month period over the summer and this fall. The water ne- – it would get green on top. And, and I use this for an example. I take a, take a lure, take a plastic tail and lower it. It'd be clear on top. You could lower it maybe four to five inches. You couldn't see it anymore. Whereas Copano Bay used to, I could go out here and fish these oil rigs with my dad with some live bait. And you could see two to three foot down. You could, yeah. they talk yep. about seeing color on your fish. Mm-hmm. He'd have a trout hooked up. Dad would. And I'd look out there and you could see that trout two to three to that foot down in the water. You can't see over four to five inches in the water now. And you haven't been over in over 12 months. Well, yeah, we've got to do, de- we've, we've got to
0: do something, do something different.
2: different. That's right.
0: Hopefully the biologists can help and figure out a sustainable way to harvest oysters and save our base. Well, it's all we the
3: um, there's there's a meeting coming up in in January. The commission is gonna, it should be briefed on the oyster on the status of the fishery. So if people want to listen to that, they can go to Parks and Wildlife's website and click on uh, Commission and go to meetings. And there's a, a link where you can listen to that. January 26th through 27th is the meeting. The agenda will come out like a week before, usually a week and a half to nine days before. You can find the agenda to figure out what day it's it's that briefing is going to be on, but I'd encourage everybody to tune into that thing. Yeah, we need to
1: work with Kevin to make sure we get that out on our social media, those links to – Yeah, we will. Yeah.
3: We will. Uh, Guys – I, I wanted to get into some stories, but I think we're going to tie a bow on it for now and come back <laughs> we, so, so this we, conversation is so we not going anywhere. So was, We, we to hear stories and chase. Okay, Mike. So all right, gonna... let's let's hear one one story. One story. story. <laughs> <laughs> one story <man. laughs> let's wrap it up with Mike Weiss. tale.
2: this is, this is one of my favorite stories. It was. Don't um, cut it short either.
3: Yeah,
1: just, okay, I mean, just tell us the whole thing.
2: The whole thing. Well. Uh, you know, we, uh, I was stationed in Sour Lake over in the deep piney woods back in the, the mid-80s, you know. And, and we had a, a deer dog running, got shut down to a half season, then it got shut down altogether. And it was because of the economics. Anyway, but uh, we just had a real bad problem with some assorted individuals in the area of Hardin County and all the road hunting and just illegal hunting we had going on. And so we developed a program called our Decoy Deer Program. And it really never been tried in the state of Texas before, but I had a local taxidermist volunteered and built me a decoy doe, a full-size deer, you know, with the full-size skin on it. We had never done this before. And so my captain from Houston, and I'm going to call his name Carl Covert. He's no longer Ooh. with us. Bless his heart. Yep. Big man, six foot seven, six foot eight. Big he feet. was just he was he wasn't a he was kind of a skeptic of the program, but he he wanted to be there for the initial run of it. And my captain, so we put this decoy at the edge of a clear cut on some uh, Temple Inlands land, and had a public road that went right through the middle of this clear cut into the piney woods, and. Right at daylight, we're out there, and we put this deer 40, 50 yards off the road, right on the edge of the clear cut, and here comes one of our locals that we <laughs> knew him by name and uh, with his deer dogs in the back of his truck. And, uh, you know, and, and I'm not bashing that deer dog deal, but uh, he drives past the, uh, the decoy. He slows down, and you could tell he saw it. He drove past it, gets out of the truck, puts three rounds of buckshot and a shotgun, steps up to the edge of the clearing, and shoots our decoy three times with buckshot and stands there in amazement so uh, how, how does it this feel is like? a, it's real foggy kind of foggy too so we me and a, a compadre jump in the truck i'm riding shotgun and he's driving and and we take off and, and hit this county road and by that time this individual had got in his truck and taken off at a high rate of speed and uh We caught up with him, and he refused to stop for red lights and sirens and assorted other gestures at him, and uh, (laughs) and so we finally pulled up next to him, and I kind of stuck a rifle out the window and told him to slow down, you know? Well, he did. He put on the brakes. When he saw me with a rifle, he put on the brakes and came to a complete stop, we ended up in front of him, and we got out, and and removed this individual from his truck in a very gentle manner and, uh, and, and had him handcuffed laying on the ground. You know, and, an and we name. all knew each other by first name. And he said, Mike, you don't need to do this. And I'm like, well, we get to play too sometimes, you know. <laughs> so uh, uh, we took him that morning to the local justice of the peace office. And the judge at that time uh, also owned a pawn shop. And there and it, so the office was all one pawn shop and judges jp office at the same place and and uh, we par- carried this individual in there and filed several charges on him at the time and and for and for running from us and and the, i'll never forget that judge's words he looked up at him he said I told you there was a good shooting gun when I sold it to you. <laughs> he said, "Do you have anything for say? To say before I pronounce you guilty and you know it's like." Uh, the, uh, he put 21 holes in my brand new deer. Oh. I, was, I was so sad my pretty beautiful deer. Shot, put, yeah. shot one, whole, one of his ears was lopping. Inside. god. And, uh, you know, but it was back then we still wrote them tickets and they paid a he paid a pretty hefty fine then. I think it was $1200. Mm-hmm. at the time and you know that was, we good money back, yeah. that was good money back then In you know 86 87 88 but that mm-hmm. was uh, <laughs> that was welcome to texas game orders to the decor program <laughs> that's awesome
3: <laughs> i love it and i like to hear the value that we put on a deer and now look at it you know we, oh, God. About oh, yeah. then to look at the value we put on oysters and it's yeah. like brings it home it's like come on guys yes.
2: yeah we, we, can, up. Do better. Step we step can do better we yeah. yeah. can do better hey
1: yeah, so. just and i've said this to many people in the last six months, I guess we were going along and really July, June, I guess that meeting in June, things really fired up. And Shane's been working on this stuff. I mean, as an organization, we've been working on it for, for years and a whole bunch in 16, 17. But I, as an AD, I cannot be more proud of a chapter and what the chapter guys and the efforts y'all have done, you know, y'all two, uh, other guys on the board, you know, um, uh, Bill and Niall and and uh, Michael and just the chat, the energy within the chapter. We're gonna get there. Mm-hmm. Are we gonna get there as fast as we want to get there? I don't know, but uh, everybody needs to know this is priority number one. You know, like I said, Shane and working with the guys in Austin, working with the department, working with the leadership within our our organization, and I cannot personally thank y'all enough for y'all's effort and helping bring this to the forefront and and being there when we need something and when we need a voice and we're gonna to continue to need those voices.
0: Well I'd like to say the exact same thing on the other side because we we as game wardens knew there were problems and and if if and I did go to speak to certain people in Parks and Wildlife and you know didn't quite get a real open ear about it. And therefore after I retired I knew who to come to because the local people around do care and there is a lot of people that care about oysters and I made the right stop which was cca and flatsworthy helped and get involved you know there's a lot of great people involved in those agency or organizations and other organizations but uh you know my first my first meeting that i wanted to go to was cca
2: and then you know. Yeah, then yeah, we hooked yeah. up and I moved down here and I'm Yeah. It was yeah. like let's get radical. Well, we, we, you know? We don't we, we don't have to keep our mouth <laughs> we shut. No, well, there was a time. Uh
3: Mike, I think we're gonna use that. Uh, <laughs> that is our mantra moving forward. Let's, let's get, get radical. The
2: community activists, you know, that get paid. God. I haven't <laughs> get paid yet for this one <laughs> and don't expect to. My payment will be when my grandchildren or out in a boat and I can say we help try to save these reefs, you know. Yep. Well yeah or we or yeah. yeah. we did save yeah. some of these reefs. That's if,
3: that's our message and, and we're you know. gonna do it in a, in a responsible way. And, and we, we got we've offered suggestions and that's not the only those probably aren't the only solutions. Like other people come to the table. This is just if you're gonna have this discussion, bring something to the table, just don't right. don't complain. Yeah. Yeah.
0: But if somebody hears the podcast and wants to get involved, join, CCA. There join you go. Organization. There you join organization, join Flatsworthy. <laughs> help with a, with a movement with a push and and because the organizations need the support it's a, it's a circle that we were told in a meeting you know it, it all comes around there's got to be membership funding advocates and habitat yep. and That's those funny. things together make the organization a CCA and with great volunteers and employees and advocacy groups and, and lobbyists, hopefully we can hit all the buttons. To make a
3: change. So it's a good note to end on. Yep. Guys, thank you so much. You. We're going to do it again. All right. All, right. All right. Sounds All right. good. We come back, How Mike? Huh? We can come back? You can come back. All right. You deal. Deal. Meatloaf next <laughs> you, time. You brought the pizza tonight.
2: <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll, babe Maybe my wife on. will make us her famous meatloaf. Uh,
3: hey, I, I'll, <laughs> I'll bring, I'll bring, I'll bring <laughs> the meat. It takes. I'll bring some <laughs> meal guys, <laughs> some venison. There you go. Good deal. Hey, thanks a lot, man. Thanks, guys. I appreciate
2: it.